It's brought to you by the Odyssey Pod Bay. That's weird. It sounds like me introducing my own podcast with my super deep broadcast voice. Uh, but that's exactly what just happened. It is Christian James Hand. Welcome to episode one of Music for the Headphone People. Uh, uh, from the Odyssey Pod Bay. I'm sitting here with my LCD2 classics on. Um, so I guess seeing as this is the first little introduction uh, is uh, appropriate. Uh, I am a, um, I'm a bit of a, let me think. I've sort of worn every hat in the music industry that you could wear, and now I've found myself in a very uh, blessed situation, which is I'm the only person in the world who does a specific show where I um, break down uh, songs into the requisite tracks that make them up, the bass and drums and guitars and vocals, and I tell the story of these things and sort of where they came from and how they happened and the players, and I do it for uh, an audience of about 200 people a show. I do two shows in L.A., I do shows in San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, um, and uh, hoping to branch out into Canada this year. Um, with a bit of luck, a TV show will be happening of it. And uh, you can hear me on KLOS on 95.5, streaming on the interwebs um, at uh, whatever that or, or the destination is, uh, or live 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, I think is what they call it. Or you can go to the sessiononair.com, click on the radio shows archive, and you can hear everything I do there. So one of the other things I did while I've been here in Los Angeles for 22 years, having moved from England to Africa to England to Long Island to outside Manhattan to Los Angeles over the course of my, uh, my life here on this green marble is I've just sort of, uh, I started making records. I've been in the music industry my whole life. I was in radio. I've been in bands. I've toured. I'm sure we'll get to know each other, and I'll tell you more and more of those stories as the, uh, as the show goes on. But briefly, uh, I've, I've produced records for a while. I've done some stuff that's been on the radio. I've done major label records, indie records, and basically worked out that I really hated doing that because one of the problems is that uh, it might come as a surprise to you, but the music industry uh, really doesn't care very much about music. What it seems to care about more is, shockingly, money. So uh, I backed out of that because I found that really annoying because the music is all that mattered to me. So um, one of the reasons that you don't hear a million music podcasts where they're playing all their favorite songs and... All of that business is happening, um, is that the uh, industry is so stupid that it hasn't caught up yet with the fact that you need to change the copyright law in the days of the digital world. So you can't play copywritten material on a podcast. You can't digitally transmit or broadcast or whatever you want to call it, stream, whatever, copywritten material that you don't own the copyright to or know somebody who does who can basically okay it. So that creates a conflict or an issue when you're a music fan and you want to do a podcast of music. So the loophole that I found is I've done 150 million songs and albums and full projects in my studio apartment, which literally has a studio in it. Um, maybe you can't hear that, but I live right at the nexus point of culture at Hollywood and Highland, um, which is, I live right behind Man's Chinese, which is the theater that has the, con the concrete with the palm prints and footprints in it. So I'm in the middle of everything, so occasionally it'll pop off with um, the alarms and sirens and madness and helicopters and all that. So if that happens, we'll just let it blurble away in the background. So anyway, 
I can play stuff that I've recorded because all of my friends own their own copyright, so I can't really be sued or asked to take anything down, and all of my friends would love for you to hear their music. So over the course of the past 15, yeah, probably 15, 17 years in Los Angeles, I've just accumulated an enormous back catalog of incredible songs that you've never heard. And I mix predominantly for headphones because most people listen on headphones in this day and age. Uh, my buddy uh, Robert Margaloof, who produced uh, a lot of Stevie Wonder's, Steve, Stevie Wonder's stuff, uh, believes the same thing, that headphones are really the future. So uh, my podcast is called Music for the Headphone People because I made music and I mix music and I create music to really be experienced in the headphone world. It's the last place that you check your mixes and it's where everything sort of comes together. You really hear the intention. So I thought what I would do is, uh, after rambling on and on and on for a really long time, I would play some music, some music that I've made and I would also tell you the stories of some of these projects, if not all of these projects, so you can just sort of get a contextualization for the people that made these mu this music and m made these songs and th just sort of every single one of these songs and all of the famous songs that I work on, the story to me is as important as the music itself. So we're going to start, I can't believe I'm going to start with uh, of all the people, I'm going to start with Mitchell. Um, so a few years back, uh, my friend Lisa Donnelly, who uh, unfortunately uh, took her life a couple of years back, <laughs> Uh, very, very talented singer, songwriter, crazy chick, you know, in just the sort of like nuts, I'm a Gemini, oh, what am I going to do with everything sort of thing. Wonderful human being, smile that lit up the room. And uh, we worked on a lot of music together. I recorded some of her stuff that I'm sure I'll play on other episodes. And, and also she sang on other projects that I did. And occasionally she would sort of introduce me to one of her friends and say, you should work with this dude. So uh, one day she says, my friend Mitchell's looking for a producer. Um, would you be interested in meeting with him? And I was like, sure. So I met with Mitchell, and uh, Mitchell had no money, as is true of most of the artists that I end up working with, and um, played me some songs, and they were awesome. And I have a rule when I come to produce somebody where I tell them, I would never sign up for this agreement, but this is the agreement that I have with the people I work with. I'm going to give you suggestions for what should happen to your music, and then you're going to do them. You're also going to have suggestions, but if you have a suggestion and I have a suggestion about the same thing, my suggestion is going to be more important and carry more weight than your suggestion. Because I'm the producer, you're the artist, and you have no idea of your own work and what it really sounds like. What you only have is the perspective of inside your head. And my job as the producer is to make something out of that that I think people are going to react to. And on top of that, the reason that you're sitting here working with me in my studio is because you've probably heard something that I did that you liked, and the same rule applied to that as applied to any of the other work that I've done here, and that's the same rule that we have to apply to yours. The bands always sign up for it. And then three months into the project, or a week, or four days, or a year into it, depending on how long it takes, they will always do what I call the reclamation, which is where they sit down and say, dude, we don't think we're really being listened to, man. And I have to go, ah, 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 
remember when we agreed at the beginning of this process. Now, if it's become so abhorrent to you, an anathema to your creative process, we can certainly down tools right now and you can go and work with what I like to call the Apple Space Bar guys, which are dudes who will literally just record anything you give them because they need the paycheck. I don't need the paycheck. I want to make art that matters. So I think, uh, I don't think we actually had, I, th- I might have had a little bit of a conversation of that way with Mitchell, but I will say that ours was relatively painless. He played uh, some of the guitar and he played, um, I think, and obviously sang. And then uh, his buddy, um, oh man, I can't remember these dudes' names. Uh, his, uh, a friend of his came in and played bass, I believe, or it might have been my friend Dan. Um, and then a couple of his other friends came in and played uh, guitars on top of it. And we had friends come in and do background vocals, and I did background vocals. And um, it was one of the methods by which I've been allowed to make records in my apartment is that I've worked out how to make a couple of really uh, powerful drum programs sound a lot more like a real drummer than somebody who maybe doesn't know what a real drum set sounds like because I'm a real drummer or I am a drummer. So I know what a drum set sounds like in a real room. And the the biggest obstacle with home recording is getting drums to sound like real drums. So we made this record together. I love it. About halfway through it, I was like, hey, man, you ever heard the Lemonheads? There's so much Lemonheads in what you're doing. And he was like, no. I was like, Evan Dando? No. And he was like, no. So I played in the Lemonheads, and he went, holy shite, I sound just like the Lemonheads. And I was like, yeah, you do. So this is one of the songs we recorded. This is from uh, Mitchell's first record. Uh, He's done a couple since, uh, not with me, which is generally the rule. Most people don't work with me for two albums in a row. Don't really care. The one that I made is the only one that I care about. This one's called She Loves.
particularly fond of that one. The whole record is really good. I'm actually gonna break. Uh, I'm gonna break my own rule. I'm gonna play two songs from him in a row. Um, his uh, buddy, what the hell was his name? This is gonna happen a lot once we get our relationship down. Oh, Todd Beauchamp. Todd. So Todd was his buddy who came in and uh, played guitar on this album. And uh, Todd's a badass. He does a bunch of music for the Discovery Channel and uh, Assorted and Asundries. And in fact, we did try to put a band together to play this stuff. But uh, Mitchell is a little bit scattered and slightly unfocused. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't really manage to go the distance. We played some shows, which was great because these were such fun, dope, interesting rock and roll sh songs to play. When I make an album... I don't like to make albums, you know, I'm an, a, a kid of the 80s, so I don't like to make albums where every song sounds the same. I like to make albums where it's all different. It's like the Beatles did it with the White Album and with Let It Be and, you know, sort of their latter works where everything is kind of like, a, it's almost like a mixtape. Um, and, and to me, that's the... the um, that's really what you want to do with a record. There, there was a, a guy named Gautier who did that uh, Somebody I Used to Know song. If you haven't heard that album, please go and check it out, especially on headphones. It is spectacular. And every song sounds different. His voice holds it together because he is the guy, and there's an ethic to his work which is consistent. And I like to do the same thing. To me, there's, a, there's a, you know, making a, the same song over and over and over again is not only boring to do in the creative process, it is also boring to consume as a listener. So there was a couple of different songs that we did with uh, with Mitchell, and one of them was this song, and we didn't really have a title for it. And then um, Todd came in and just did this, played this riff that was so good. And then we sort of like felt like the song was uh, it's, it, like uplifting in a way, and we we're like, oh, it makes you feel so lifty. So the song ended up just being called Lifty, and Todd Beauchamp just killing it with this riff, which is one of those riffs that when you hear it, you're like, how did that riff not exist before? Lifty. Man, this is good. Oh, 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 oh,
There's no way I was going to bring the guitar riff back at the end for crying out loud. Uh, excuse me. That probably sounds really good on a pair of great Odyssey headphones. It's Christian James Hand. You already know that. This is not radio. You have to understand it. Radio for years. So the formatics are embedded in my psyche. Um... So one of the, if you're probably listening on, I hope you're listening on a good pair of headphones if you are listening on headphones, or it sounds good in the car, but it's, it's called music for the headphone people for a reason. I mix for headphones. Uh, I like the big world that headphones provide. Um, and one of the things that, uh, so that's about 10 years old. I did that record. And um, my mixing has, has come along a, 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 a little bit since then. So some of these things feel a little bit bright, I'll be honest with you. Um, but... They, uh, the mixes will get better. Uh, this is a more recent piece of work. Uh, this is a very handsome dude who, um, we, uh, we worked together. I'm trying to think. I th oh, he had actually, he hit me up because he had heard a record I did by a band called the Mowgli's, I think. 
and uh, which was sort of a regional hit uh, due to complete catastrophe at their record label. Um, and uh, he had hit me up and said, hey, I want to make some, you know, I heard the work you did with the Mowgli's and I love it. Would you be interested in making some stuff with me? So I said, sure. So he came over and he's v ridiculously handsome. Um, his, it was one of those things where I sort of had to push him in a little bit of a direction that I'm not sure he was entirely comfortable with. But by the, uh, by the end of it, he had sort of come around and was starting to write stuff that fit more of the energy that we had created together. And this was one of the last tracks that we did. He then um, moved to, I think, Austin or Nashville. I think it was Austin. And promptly started just posting ridiculous stuff. And I was getting into fights with all of his Bernie bro idiots who were doing that in the last election who were like, I'm not, if it's not Bernie, I'm not voting. And just getting into argument after argument with these morons. So I just defriended him. It's unfortunate. Lovely kid. We made a great record together. And uh, I think this is, so he, I did all, I did the drum programming and all that stuff. He played the guitar, did the singing, and then a friend of his, lovely chap, came in and played, um, played some bass on it. So it's a, it's a, it's in the real world, this would just be a three piece, but I'm particularly proud of the, uh, so there's no, I don't use real guitar amps. There's a great box by the, the a gentleman who invented the drum machine uh, by the name of Roger Lynn. Invented the Lindrum way back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. He was a guitar player and he didn't have anyone to play along with. So he created a drum machine so that he could have somebody to play guitar along with and changes the industry from that point on. So he made this incredible little guitar amp emulator box called the Adrenalin, because his last name is Lin. And I use that plugged into uh, a little bevy, an assortment of guitar pedals, my favorite being the Pigtronics Polysaturator which is sick. If I had to get rid of all of them and only have one, that would be it. I've got a little uh, spatial delivery from uh, Earthquaker, who are fantastic, if you don't know them, uh, a Mastertron um, from Zvex, a uh, Big Muff, which you have to have a swollen pickle from way huge. I have a couple of uh, very, very rare uh, artisanal pedals and uh, a Memory Man, which every guitar player should have. Um, but this uh, particular sound at the beginning of this track is um, an amp setting to sound like a Fender Twin that's cranked through the polysaturator pedal, which gives it this gnarly burst sound. So I'm particularly fond and proud of this record. It sounds exactly the way I would want it to, which is not an easy thing to accomplish. Um, oh, by the way, vocals done through an SM7B, through a Brent Avril 312A, through a Distressor, around the corner by my hot water heater. So uh, this is... Uh, what was his full name? Chris what? Damn it. Marijuana is hell of a drug. It's called Chris Michaels. That's it. Man, I found it. Who the hell do you think I am? Do I look like some desperate seeker? One won't do anything for love You treat me like I'm your favorite trinket You toss aside when you're good and done Well, maybe I should have spoken sooner I don't intend to be played the fool I don't intend to remain this silent I don't intend to stay under your rule
Michaels with one of my favorite vocals. Holy smokes. So good. Isn't that amazing that you can make something sound like that with no real instruments and no room and no real drums and just a dude around the corner barking at the top of his lungs? Brilliant. I love the... I had to um, piece the guitar solo together from a bunch of different takes because I pushed him really hard to get that solo. And that riff is just sick. To me, it's like the White Stripes meets Rage Against the Machine. It's like Rage Against the Stripes or the White Machine. Either way, Rage Against the White Machine. No, that sounds a little too political. Um, Rage Against the Stripes. So that's Chris Michaels. Who the hell? Uh, The problem is that, unfortunately, I don't think that any of this music is available. I know that Mitchell has his stuff might be on iTunes. Um but I don't think that Chris Michaels ever put his stuff up, so that's the only version of that that you will hear. Um, of course, as I said, this is all music that the people that I'm playing have access to their own publishing and copyright, so uh, I'm not breaking any rules. I usually have a piece of the songs I work on, so I'm part owner of the material. So this is the only way that I can play music. And at the end, uh, I'm going to give out an email address. And if you happen to have music yourself, if you're in a band, or you know of people that have done some great music that you'd love me to hear that I would love to play, because I don't just want it to be stuff that I've done. I'd love to do like a little showcase of someone else's work. Uh, It does have to meet a certain standard, and it doesn't have to be recorded beautifully. I've known some shite recordings that have been really, really passionate and great and awesome. But uh, I'm not just going to put anything up. Uh, I'm going to have to like it, and it's going to have to be sonically, you know, able to be music for the headphone people. Um, All right, so moving on to the next thing, which is going to be the biggest, hugest wall of racket um, that uh, that I could could play. Um, So I was uh, on a station called The Sound out here in Los Angeles, 103.1, I think. Um, It's a classic rock station. 
Uh, I think I was the youngest person in the building, and I was not young, other than the street teamers. And uh, um, I th it was through an email or maybe a text, uh, something on, on maybe a Facebook message from a dude named Paul, and he was like, hey, I'm a huge fan of the thing that you do on the radio, which is the breaking down songs thing I was talking about. It was the first station I did it on uh, as full bands. Um, I'd done it on Sirius with just vocals, but when I went to commercial terrestrial radio, I, I switched it up to being able to do the full band to get like a nice 20-minute segment out of it. So he'd hit me up and said, hey, I love what you're doing. I love music. I'd love to talk to you. So uh, got on the phone with him one day and uh, another madman, uh, but a beautiful song. And he, uh, he said, listen, I'm in this band called Analog Saint with my brother, who's the drummer, and uh, this, this guitar, this bass player, and I'd love for you to come and hear our stuff and maybe, you know, talk about producing a record with us. And I was trying to sort of, like, get away from it. I'd just been burned pretty heavily by the, um, by the Mowgli's, and then I did a record with my ex-girlfriend for Island Records that just went horribly sideways, and I, I was not really feeling it, but I liked the guy, and we had a great conversation. So I thought, the least I can do is honor him and go and, you know, at least sit and listen to their stuff. So I went out and I met him, uh, and he's, you know, a neurotic dude, as most, you know, lead singers in bands are. And his brother, Michael, is the drummer. And then, um, oh, I should play two songs. I'll play two songs from uh, Analog Saint. Uh, I'll play my two favorites. Uh, and then uh, Jared, who's the bass player. So we go into their little rehearsal room in the back of their house, um, converted garage thing. And they proceed to play and blow my friggin' mind. I could not believe what I was hearing. And I just sat there and I was like, are all of these originals? And they were like, yeah, 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 we wrote them all. And I was like, there's no effing way. These songs are too good. So I pretty much on the spot proceeded to obligate myself to doing a record with these guys. Full album, no money, totally for free, took months and months and months, but it was so much fun and I'm so proud of it. I definitely, I took them in a direction, they were, they were three piece, so when you see them live, it's more brash and punk rock than the record that I made. The record that I made is a lot more arena and a lot bigger. Um, and uh, it, uh, it's one of the things I like to do is I like to give bands a place to go because I think if you record them at the place that they are, by the time you know the record comes out or whatever process they go through, they should be better musicians and they should, you know, you should be pushing them to get to a place. So I sort of pushed them to get to this place. Uh, their brother Michael was kind of bummed that he didn't get to play drums on the record because we did, you know, it's a, a way to cut down on expense, especially if you're doing a, a record for free. The drum room is the only big, the thing that's really going to cost you money. You're going to have to go to somebody else's place and either, you know, it's the smallest fee that I could find would probably be 300 bucks a day. And it's usually a two-day, three-day job. It's a nightmare. Getting drum sounds is horrible. The drummer has to be great. The kit has to be great. The room has to be great. Everything has to be great. So it's so much easier just to use Steve Slate drums. Uh, plug for SSD5, an amazing program from Steve Slate. And know what a drum set sounds like. You know, my drum train is SSD into the UBK1, Kush Audio, unbelievable secret sauce box, whatever that thing is. Little EQ and uh, another Kush Audio plugin called the Omega. And there's your drum sound. You don't have to worry about having a drum room. Guitar amps, don't need them. It's as Robert Rodriguez, the director of... Uh, once Upon a Time in Mexico and those sort of things. He, uh, El Mariachi, he has this great quote. Where he says, technology is not something you should be 
afraid of because technology that we have now allows artists to create at the speed of thought, and it does. So we bashed through this Analog Saint record. Jared, the bass player, is one of the um, bass players are my favorite. I love the bass as an instrument. I love its job in music, and bass players are my favorite dudes. And ja I usually get in there and take the really tool the bass lines. I really get in there and dig deep and work really hard with the bass player on their parts. This dude, I just let him go because he is, without a doubt, uh, between him and my friend Dan, um, who uh, my friend Dan, who played on the bunch of records when I first came out to L.A., an amazing bass player, um, who also unfortunately took his own life. Mental health in the music industry, it's kind of important. Uh, but Dan left some incredible work behind. I'm going to play some of that music on later episodes with Dan. Um, but Dan and Jared are my two favorite bass players. Dan I had to work really hard with, and he was sort of like, he would be my fingers. And Jared was just flawless from moment one. And this is She's a Weapon. Prepare to have your headphones blown off your head. <laughs>
right, so it's it's my podcast, so I can do whatever I want. Listen to Paul's vocal performance at the end of this song, and then go online, find Analog Saint, and look at photographs of this dude. The fact this vocal is so friggin' sick. And I sent it to the local radio station here for their locals spotlight show. And uh, the note that we got back was that unfortunately the song was too rock and roll and didn't really fit in with the sound of the songs that they were playing on their local show. That is what we call cowardice in the business. You play it specifically because it doesn't sound like anything else that anyone else is doing. And this vocal, this is like best rock vocal Grammy award winning, and I'm not saying that lightly. Paul, you're a badass. You are right, she's a weapon for the man You are right, she's a weapon for the man Oh, you are right, she's a weapon for the man Oh, oh, oh you are right, she's a weapon for the man Guess what, you are right And that's just spectacular. Holy guacamole. You are right. You try it. Just put that in the car. Just turn it up real loud so the neighbors can't hear. Just try to scream in key the way Paul's doing there. It is virtually impossible for normal people. Good Lord. Well done. So, um, so Paul is one brother, and then the drummer is Michael, who's the other drummer who is recovering uh, currently from esophageal cancer, it's, uh, like stage four or something. Um, he's beating it, and he's make it all the way out because we need to make the next Analog Saint record. He's also been writing these beautiful acoustic songs um, about the experience of, of this, and, and we're going to record those as well and probably put those out as an EP as, as, as well. Um, you can go online, and, and if you like the band and you fall in love with them, go on to, uh, it's Paul Aria. O-R-E-A or Michael Aria, donate to the uh, Kickstarter or the, the GoFundMe. It's horrible that in America people have to go on GoFundMe accounts to deal with life-threatening diseases. It's criminal, but nonetheless, go on there and support him. So they were playing these songs, so Michael sings a couple of them, and both of the songs that he sings on the record are so, so good. But this one... One, sort of from Texas, I think, for Florida or some southern thing below the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, it's all the same, really. And uh, so they have this, obviously, this big brash rock and roll thing that they do, indie, post-90s sort of feel. But there's a heavy English thing going on in there because they're Anglophiles, and, and certainly Paul is. But then there's also this gorgeous East Coast thing that they're doing. But it's like the, it's like the 19, like late 80s, early 90s. Big Dipper and Buffalo Tom and uh, it was just Rivers. There were so many of these bands that were doing like such dope shit in the in like the college rock world. And I was in my college rock radio station. So there's also this real 
New England thing. And this particular song that Michael sang immediately sort of struck me as that. And his vocal on this thing is just so damned good. They've also got a little bit of Dinosaur Jr. in there. One of the songs on the record is called Dinosaur Jr. Excuse me, Dinosaur Jr. Jr. They are so creative. I love this band so much. It's Analog Saint, and this is Mike singing since 99. Badasses. And this tambourine playing that I did is no joke. Got it. Yeah. 
that delayed guitar thing does the it's I think it's, it's I think it's the control room speakers playing while Michael was cutting his vocal or I was doing the tambourine or something but it was an effect I was trying to pull off because um it just uh there was a record by, by a band called Frightened Rabbit who are epic. If you haven't heard uh, Late Night Organ Fight from Frightened Rabbit, definitely check that out. Um, and a friend of mine produced that record, and he had this cool effect at the end of a song where that sort of thing happened. And I wanted to do it so bad, and I didn't know how to do it, and then by accident it totally occurred. So uh, the, uh, the great pumpkin in the sky, thank you so much. Uh, all right, so up next, just another barn burner, but this one is of an acoustic ilk. Um, so I, I did a record for a band um, called We The Ones, which I will probably play on another uh, episode, which I was really proud of. Uh, very difficult band, very difficult process, birthed the record they hated, but I loved. I did it. Uh, they did pay me for it, but we. Well, I'll tell the story on that one later. Anyway, so they played at a local place here in Hollywood called The Pig and Whistle. Uh, and my girlfriend and I at the time Went to go see the We The Ones play because I try to support the, the bands that I'm, I work with, and especially when I give them a record they've got to step into. I like to help them find a way to step into it. I don't just sort of like leave them orphaned at the side of the road. So I went to go see them play, and they did a, you know, a reasonable job of it. And then afterwards, because it was sort of an open mic night situation, this Asian kid gets up on stage with this rat shit guitar beaten to death and like... One of the things that I judge guitar players on, because I'm a frustrated guitar player, is having you know the the strings spiking out the end of like like some sort of eye gouging afro thing at the end. Like the strings are all so his strings were a mess. He had this fringe of hair that just hung down in front of his face that he hid behind, and they shoved the mic into this fringe, and he just started to play. And on top of that, he had like a he had a, a sort of a, a lisp. And while he was talking, I was like, oh, and I was just being douchebag Christian. And I was like, oh, let's see what this is going to sound like. This will be hysterical. Uh, and then he proceeded to start to play, and I fell in love immediately. First off, I, I thought that he was doing nothing but covers. And my ex at the time was a big Bob Dylan fan, and she knew some folky business. So I went over, and I was like, hey, are these covers? And she looks at me and she's like, I don't think so, dude. I think this dude is, has written this stuff. He was like 22 years old. He was like a baby. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, hey, man, how much of these things that you played tonight are covers? And he said, none of them. I wrote all of them. And I immediately said, okay, you need to come to my apartment and I'm going to record all of your songs. So he came to my place, recorded a bunch of them, came back and recorded a few more. Um, I don't know if any of them are up on the interwebs anywhere. Um, it's Mikel. He went under Mikel Angelo. Now I don't know what he's going under, uh, but it's M-I-K-E-L when he was doing it. But he's a, he came from Hong Kong, which meant that he was educated in the English school system. So he's very, very smart. He's very well read. His lyrics are absolutely gobsmacking. And all of the songs that he writes just feel like they have been written decades ago by some 65-year-old man who's suffered every indignity on planet Earth and has come out to just basically sing about it. And this one was a, a later song. He did a bunch, and then I went and saw him live and said, you have to come and record that one. So this was a later one that he did in the, the set um, that we... the set of songs that we ended up recording. And this one is called... 
this twisted world of ours. And to me, when he first played it, it resonated so heavily for me in Bob Mould and Who's Could Do when they did mellower and more an acoustic-based songs, or they didn't do, do acoustic. Bob has, but Husker did a couple songs that were slower and more melodic and more jangly, and this immediately harkened back to that. So this is, this is a masterpiece. This is a, a master class in songwriting and song construction. This one of my favorite guys, Michelangelo. Good grief. I'm just going to keep saying good grief. And the best part is I recorded this stuff. So the good grief isn't about my work. It's about my friends. Drifting down Lightly as a cloud And you know that I will follow you Until your frozen heart begins to glow Deep in the darkness Where ghosts whisper secrets long untold Yes, I will follow you Even though I know there is no hope In this twisted world of ours Tears have yet to fall At least none that I recall But alone I've seen the yellow moonlight land on pallid faces I have known Distant as childhood and mystical as the gods of Rome Their rising eyelids revealing minuscule black holes Made by this twisted world of ours After too much pain There's always nothing left to say I've roamed through empty streets In the haunted midnight Fearless as a child with no direction Leading me through each uncounted mile Just a desire to lose myself For a little while In this twisted world of ours But ain't it strange, my darling, how tonight There's been no sorrow just you and I and the starry Milky Way And I don't need to know if we'll still be in love tomorrow No, I don't even need to know your name No, I don't even need to know your name 
at least not today. Michelangelo. <laughs> Twisted world of ours. That's what I'm talking about. And we couldn't, so we played those, uh, to, he, we, we mic'd that together. So there was one mic on the acoustic guitar and one on his vocals. John, in the moment, in the room, I wanted each of the recordings that I did for each of these different acoustic acts that I, I'll, I'll tell that story on another podcast, but I wanted all of them to sound different. So this one, I kind of left the windows open and made it sound as if, hopefully as if it was him doing it just on his own in his room. But I love that kid, and I love his music, and I will definitely be playing more of that on future episodes of Music for the Headphone People. This has been it. Uh, my name is Christian James Hand, my first episode. I thought it was going to be half an hour. I talk a lot. ended up being about an hour. So maybe I'll do an hour-long episode each time. Uh, each of the bands you're hearing are unsigned, independent artists who are just putting music out on their own, all produced in my, uh, in, in my apartment. Um, I would love to do other bands and other songs, so if you have friends of yours or you're in a band or you know of anybody, send me an mp3 at neolud at gmail.com. That's N-E-O-L-U-D as in dog, D as in dog at gmail.com, neolud at gmail.com. Send me an mp3, little info on who it is, what it's about, and uh, I'm going to hopefully start to play some uh, unknown artists on this podcast because to me that's what it's all about. It is music for the headphone people, so I want the stuff to have a certain level of recording ethic. It doesn't have to all sound amazing, but it should definitely, if it's... If it's a band that wants to sound garagey, then the recordings are garagey. If you want to sound like Pink Floyd, then the recording should sound like Pink Floyd. All right? It's really not, uh, it's not hard, but it's, uh, it's a little bit of an obstacle sometimes. Uh, so to round it out, slightly self-serving, I do make music on my own. Uh, many, many moons ago, uh, I was in a band that was uh, fated to be huge in the industry and we were the talk of the town here in Los Angeles and everybody wanted to sign us and we went to every single meeting and did every single thing and then ultimately nothing happened and they broke the back of the band with their bullshit uh, and I ended up calling it quits. Uh, but it was like five years of my life and then a friend of mine had moved out here and I said, hey man, I just want to see what happens if I make music on my own. I don't know how to play any instruments other than drums and I just want to see what happens if I stick my fingers down my throat and I'm not worried about pleasing a record label or doing this or doing that or getting blah, 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 blah. I just want to, so my friend was like, yeah. So we ended up doing a record for about, it took us about three or four months to record it, maybe slightly longer. And then I learned how to use Pro Tools by making my own record. That was a band called the Jet Morgans. Uh, my dad's favorite uh, radio show when he was a kid was a show called Jet Morgan, which was sort of like the English version of, um, uh, what would it be, like Flash Gordon, like that sort of thing. So his, so I called it the Jet Morgans, and then that project, I just finished that record, and then I decided I didn't want to do a whole other album, so I just started doing random songs. Um, and I called them production exercises because I wanted, I wanted to play all the instruments myself, and I wanted to just see what happened if I didn't care about song structure, if I didn't care about verses and choruses and middle eights and that sort of thing, if I just wanted to make almost tone poems. Uh, so I, uh, I wrote this song. It's called Long Island. And it's um, about my the love of my life from high school was a girl by the name of Karen Klotz, who's now a woman by the name of Karen Klotz, or Karen Andrews. <laughs> Excuse me. And... Um, 
she was everything. I loved her so much. We had such a great relationship and we were best friends and it was like that high school thing that was so perfect. And then it all went sideways because uh, my best friend at the time was an English guy and he had to return to England. And that broke my heart and spiraled me out. And then Karen sort of got really weird and distant and depressed and all that. And it wasn't until years later they found out that her mother was dying of cancer for the last few months of our relationship. And she had not been able to tell me because as she said, if I told you, if I admitted it to you, I'd have to admit it to myself. So years later, I wrote a couple of songs to Karen because she really did touch my heart in a way that nobody had touched it prior. Um, so I wrote this song called Long Island, and it's about Karen, and it's, a, it's attempting to coalesce all of the innocence and beauty and amazingness of a, of a high school relationship in Port Jefferson, Long Island, the, this seaside town where everything looks like a postcard except for the smokestack sticking up from the power company but even that in the in the panorama of Port Jefferson even that was like an iconic sort of um, landmark so this one's for Karen it's called uh, Long Island the project they did it under was called super beautiful just because that seemed an incredibly arrogant thing to say and the opposite of me as a person uh, my name is Christian James Sand this has been the uh, the inaugural edition of my Music for the Headphone People podcast on the Odyssey uh, podcast cruise. Um, with the, it's from the pod bay, as they call it. Open the pod bay doors, how? That's why. Uh, hopefully I'll be back again for another one. I don't know how long they're going to post them or how often they're going to post them, but I'll see you at the next one. And don't forget, send me stuff that you think is good, neolud at gmail.com, and enjoy your Odyssey headphones and enjoy this one. It's me. <laughs> There's a place on Long Island Where the sun touches down There's a place on Long Island Where my soul can be found And there's you And there's me And we're young And we're free There's a house on Long Island where a smile can be found There's a laugh on Long Island That's as sweet as the sound And there's you And there's me And we're young And we're free And we're talking on the stairs And my lips are in your hair Yeah.